Amen. Amen. I want you guys to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ephesians, Ephesians 4. Y'all, I, that's, that's one of my favorite songs, thinking about how good God is and how he's perfect. It's, it goes perfectly with what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, but I've been talking to some people over the past few, uh, few months, and it has um, it's impressed me. I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but it has impressed me how, how little some people know about theology. And, and I don't say that arrogantly because I am still learning every single day, so hear me say that, okay? But there are a lot of people that are struggling with believing that all religions are leading to the same place or that certain certain religions are the same or serving the same God. He just has a different name. And I'll be honest with you guys, it's scary because when you start walking down that path, when you start getting swayed by winds of doctrine, it can get dangerous. You know, it's, it's interesting. I was, I was thinking about it this week, and in Greenland, there are... You know, Greenland is, I don't even know why they named it Greenland, because it's all ice anyways, okay? But they've got glaciers everywhere. You've got little glaciers, big glaciers, all over the place, okay? But it's interesting, because when you look, when you look at video of Greenland, you've got these little tiny glaciers, okay, little, little tiny ice pockets, and they're, and they're moving this way, but then you've got entire huge mountainous glaciers that are moving the other way. It's weird. Well, it's because these little glaciers, the, the, the ones that aren't fully formed underneath, they're being moved by the wind. But these enormous glaciers, the massive ones, they're being, they're being pulled by the undertow. They're being pulled by the current. And, and, and when we think about that, it's important where we are spiritually. Because are you being pulled by the current of the Bible or are you being pulled by the wind of what media and culture and this world is telling you to go after? This morning is going to be a little more informational than normal. You're gonna, it's going to be a lot of notes. It's going to be a lot of slides. You're going to be tired of me talking. That's okay. But it's, it's kind of, it's kind of broke, broke my heart to see how, how much southernism, even southernisms, have found their way into theology. And it's, it's, just, it's just incorrect. So um, I want to pray for us real quick, and then we're going to dive right into Ephesians 4, starting at verse 1. God, please give me the words to speak. Illuminate your scripture. God, I pray that I'm an arrow pointing to you today, and that, and that no one's paying attention to me, but that they're, they're paying attention to the Holy Spirit and what he's telling them. I pray that someone walks out of here changed today, understanding that theology is a whole lot more than what some pastor might tell them. Theology is your God-breathed word. And I pray that you would open our eyes to that, Father. We love you so much. Amen. Ephesians 4, I'm going to jump right in in verse verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But in each one of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed it. This is, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and, and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he, he descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now check this out. Here we go. When Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, let's remember that phrase, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supported ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now let me just preface this whole thing we're about to get into. It's about to get real deep, okay? I know it's almost New Year's. You're like, I'm just ready to hit the cracker barrel. I get it, okay? But hear me out. This is really good. Okay, we're a church, and in the church, there's a lot of different personalities. Anybody going to agree with that? If Big big head nod. There are a lot of different personalities in the church, okay? It had no subliminal, subliminal message at all, okay? All right. But we have all been given gifts. We have all been given abilities. We have, some of us are teachers. Some of us are pastors. Some of us are evangelists. Okay, some of us are able to teach the word better than others. It's just our God-given ability. Okay? But we're all cohesively working together. And by the way, the New Testament church, it doesn't teach a church that comes in and sits once a week and listens to a sermon and goes out. You know what it does? In fact, if, if we go back to the original New Testament church, the pastor's job was to preach the word, to build up the body. The discipling came from you guys. You guys go out into the community. You guys go out and reach the world. That's why the New Testament church added to its, its numbers daily by the thousands. You know why? Because it wasn't some fat guy up here trying to speak what, what the Bible was telling him to do. It was because you guys were so filled with the Holy Spirit that you couldn't keep it inside. You couldn't say, I, I, I'm going to keep this one to myself. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to live like, I, like, like the world for the rest of the week. No, you were living 24-7 for Jesus. Why? Because you were so filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was so strong inside you, you could not help but do anything differently. That is how the New Testament church worked. But unfortunately, in America, we see a very fat and lazy church. Got real quiet. And I'm talking to myself here. I am not calling anyone out. I'm calling all of America out. Okay? We have gotten lazy. We have given all of the tasks of discipling, of evangelism, of loving, of caregiving to the pastor and the staff 
when it is not necessarily our responsibility alone. It is also y'all's. So if you're not going out there, if you're not teaching what you're being taught on Sunday morning or throughout the week, if you are not attending a life group, you are not growing the way you should be in order to be able to build up others toward Christ. Just kind of threw that gauntlet down right there in the beginning. Because before, if you don't understand what a church is truly supposed to do, then your theology is going to be so worked up to begin with. It's not going to make sense. So first of all, take out your notes, because you're going to need them. It's important that we detect false doctrines, okay? You have to detect them. This is, like I said earlier, this is going to be an informational sermon because I want you guys to be built up and ready and understand how to detect these things. And then later in the, in the sermon, we're going to talk about how to avoid, how to avoid falling for false doctrines. Okay, check this out. So the first way to detect false doctrines. Now, there's, there's hundreds of different ways, but I'm going to kind of bring it down and focus on the Trinity because the Trinity is where a lot of our faith is found in its foundation. Okay, if you're not believing that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are triune God, one God, three gods, but one God, but three gods, but one, you get what I'm saying? It's no, we are not polytheistic, okay? We believe in one God, but this one God has three persons inside himself. That does not mean that he's schizophrenic either, okay? Hear me say that. It is a mystery that theologians have argued over and sweated over, and cried over for centuries. Are we ever going to understand the Trinity fully? No. Because God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You can't begin to try to understand who God is. If you could understand God, we're all in big trouble. Because he wouldn't be God. So number one, does it defy the heart of of God. I'm going to throw some verses out there. Just jot them down. You can look at them later in your notes when you're studying this week. 1 John 4, 8. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives. No, that's the wrong one. I'm sorry. Where are we at? I'm sorry. Does it defy the heart of God? Here we go. I'm sorry. We're going to go to 1 John 4, 8. All right, all right. Whoever does not know God, or whoever does not love, does not know God because God is love. So, I mean, just right off the bat, if you're not loving, if you're not loving, now, we, I don't think that anyone on earth can fully understand the beautiful and perfect agape love that Jesus has for us. That's that total and full love of God, completely unconditional completely perfect in its ways just as the song said he is perfect in all of his ways to us i don't believe we can fully we can know god even a little bit if we don't love does that make sense john 4 8 all right the next one second peter 3 second peter 3 9 the lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness instead he is patient not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance he loves He wants you to come to him. He is not willing that you guys should perish. Not willing. Okay? There is teaching out there that believes that God damns people to hell. That is unbiblical. That is unbiblical. God does not cause people to go to hell. It is our choice 
It is why sin is in the world, so that we can choose. We can say, God, I want you, or God, I don't want you. It is on us. God gives us the faith to believe, but that is, that is when we choose him, okay? Thirdly, Colossians 2.17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God is intricately at work in this world. He has not wound up this clock and set back and let it go. He is involved. He is loving. But he is also righteous. There are some people, there are moralistic individuals that try to paint God as a totally benevolent God. He's like, oh, he just loves you. He doesn't care if you've made any mistakes. He just wants to hold you and coddle you and love you. That's not, God does love. God is benevolent. God does want to give you blessings. But there is another side of God that a lot of times, he is a God of order. He is a God of, I don't want to say judgment, but he is a God of consequence. All of you guys, if you are good parents, teach your kids that there are consequences for their actions, whether good consequences or bad. I deal with that junk every day. There are good consequences and there are bad, but God God set up order. He set up consequences. He loves you. He wants you to be with him, and he will forgive you when you sin, but that does not mean that the consequences of that sin are not going to come to you. And so the moralistic people try and, try and breathe that in. But then there's the opposite. There's this legalistic group of people that teach that he is just an angry God ready to bust you upside the head every time you do something stupid. And that's not God either. Like I said, there's consequences, but he is, he is not willing that you should perish in that sin. He wants you. He sent that provision in Jesus. That's beautiful, guys. That's theology. That's biblical theology. So you have to have, you can't have one side of God without the other. You can't have just this loving, sweet, kind, long-haired, hippie Jesus, okay, without the just God, the God that put the whole earth in motion, and the God that is intricately involved and knows that there are consequences for sin but still wants you to be with him guys get that there's got to be both sides so if you're if you're meeting someone who believes that there is one side or the other only that person has a skewed view of god some of these verses will help you in studying and talking about that i'm really excited by the way um there's a church in the community called the way and i love i love the pastors of them so much they're really good friends of mine they started about four years ago an apologetics camp which our students will be going to this uh coming summer called equip and it is just incredible. Over six days, there's going to be 18 sessions, apologetic sessions, teaching these kids what the Bible says about creation, what the Bible says about dinosaurs, what the Bible says about anything that anyone on earth can argue with you about. Now, are they going to come out of their professionals? No, good Lord. But it's going to give them a taste of wanting to be able to defend their faith. And apologetics means being able to to answer someone. The Bible talks about 
being in, in, in season and out of season, always prepared to give someone an answer for the re, or the, give a reason for the answer that you have, for the hope that you have, guys. It's important for us to know theology, not just to know that God is love, not just to know that that Jesus was a virgin, was came of a virgin birth. It's not just enough to know that the Trinity exists. You need to give evidence. There's a lot of people out there that are really smart, and they're really going to try hard to flip your faith around and make you doubt yourself, make you doubt Scripture, when everything you need is right here. It's so important. Number two. So number one was, does it, does it defy the heart of God? Number two, does it deny the deity of Jesus? Does it deny the Godhead of Jesus? Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So Christ was the Son of God, and he's also God. Can you explain that to me? Because if anyone can explain that to me, I would really, like, we could write books together and get really rich because that is a difficult thing to understand. How God can be fully God, fully man, and yet still the Son of God. It's a hard one. That's Colossians. That was Colossians 2.9. Write that down. John 10.30. I mean, he just straight out says it. I and the Father are one. This is Jesus' words. He said, I am one with the Father. We're the same dudes. Straight out says it. Anyone's telling you that Jesus was just a prophet, he was just a good man, he wasn't actually God, he was just there maybe sent by God, they're wrong. Jesus is and was and will always be God, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. That is beautiful. When I pray, when I pray to God in the name of Jesus, guys, it is beautiful to know that I'm not talking to a priest. I'm not talking to someone who has to intercede for me. I am talking to the living, breathing God that said, exist, and the universe went, boom. That is comforting. To know that the universe was created, and he wants to hear what I have to say. John 8, 58. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. So not only is it saying that Jesus is the Son of God, but it's saying that Jesus was a part of the Trinity before Abraham. Now, in this culture, Abraham would have been the beginning, like the beginning of their thought process. Like Israel, outside of Israel, Jews didn't really care about anything. They, they, were, they, liked, they liked their culture. And Abraham was the father of their nation. So before Abraham, it's literally when he's saying that, the Israelites are literally hearing before anything. Before anything that mattered, before anything breathed, before life itself, I am. I love that word for God. I love that name. Anyone love I am? That is just like the coolest, that's probably my favorite name for God in the entire Bible. There's some really cool names, but I am. I'm just like, that's not even... That's not even grammatically correct. That's how awesome it is. It transcends grammar. That's great, you know? God is anything you need him to be. I am your rock. I am your shelter. I am your comforter. I am your defender. I am everything you need me to be at any time. I am. That's exciting. 
That's exciting. I'm about to get excited up here. John 14, 6. Jesus answered. Again, Jesus is saying this. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we're, we're canceling out any way to God other than Jesus. Right here. This is it. This is your go-to. And I'm going to tell you in just a minute how a lot of people can make you think otherwise because they take things out of context. I'm going to explain how hermeneutics works in just a little bit. Okay? So if, if, if this teaching from anyone else says that Jesus is anything other than God himself, God incarnate, 100% man, 100% God, dealt with the things we dealt with, died on a cross, a perfect man, to take all of our sin on him, the wrath of God poured out on Jesus at the cross, to be able to split that veil in the temple and to allow all people to come to God. If they teach anything other than that, they're wrong. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there like, that is the most arrogant thing I have ever heard. How can you tell me that I'm wrong? My truth is good for me. It may not be good for you. That's stupid. The Bible tells us what truth is. It is nothing. It is not what you think truth is. Truth is what is. It is not subjective. It is objective. And the Bible tells us exactly what it is. Number three. Does it disagree with the instruction of the Holy Spirit? And I'm just going to I'm going to bring it to 2 Timothy 3:16. Y'all check this out. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. This is the job of the Holy Spirit. When you accept Jesus as your savior, when you say God, I am dumb and I've made mistakes and I need you because I can't do life on my own. Jesus gives you, he blankets you with his righteousness. So when God looks at you, he no longer sees the wretched, sinful person that you are, but he sees the blood of Jesus that's been applied, and he sees one holy and righteous standing before him in the righteousness of Christ. He sees Jesus. It is awesome to know that I serve a God that looks at me the same way he looks at his son, in love. But the Holy Spirit is given to us to teach us, to guide us. When you were born, you were given gifts, you were given abilities, you were given talents. You see them this morning. Travis, one of the most talented men I know, up here leading worship, guys. He is taking the talent that God has given him, and he has, guided by the Holy Spirit, has become a worship leader. He is not just singing songs. He is not just up here so you guys can look at him. Okay, he's a beautiful man, I know, but that's not why he's up here. He is up here because he wants you guys to come to the throne room of God. I'll send my bill. He wants you to worship God. That is the point of life, glorifying God. That is it. Everything else in that falls in place. It is God-breathed. So how is the scripture written? It was written by the Holy Spirit, taking the pens and the hands of men, many, many men, over the entire 66-book love letter I call the Bible. Takes many men's hands through their own personalities and writes the scriptures through men. But it was Holy Spirit-breathed. 
God breathed the universe into existence. He breathed the Bible into existence. That's how you know it's perfect. Are there editing errors? Sure, because we're humans, and again, we make mistakes. But the original text of the Scripture is perfect. Not one jot, not one tittle. That would be the smallest, the smallest thing in a Hebrew alphabet, a jot and a tittle. They are not out of place. It is perfect. The Bible is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching. Here's the Holy Spirit coming into play. For teaching, for rebuking. Rebuking is like, that's bad, okay? Rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness. So here's the discipleship. The Holy Spirit is used to disciple us, and in training us, we are to disciple others. So one, this is how you detect them. Does it defy the heart of God? Does it deny the deity of Jesus? And thirdly, does it disagree with the instruction of the Holy Spirit? A lot of people don't understand the Holy Spirit. And it's a hard one to understand. Because there's a lot of teaching out there that is wrong. There's a lot of teaching on the Holy Spirit that is, that is wrong. And it's... it's it's hard because a lot of people, even in this church, there are a lot of people that come from different backgrounds. A lot of people come from different backgrounds. They grew up in churches that taught them the Holy Spirit did one thing, and you've got other people that have taught them the Holy Spirit does a very different thing. There are certain people that believe the Holy Spirit it fills you with a lot of things and allows you to do a lot of miraculous things, and there's people that teach that the Holy Spirit is just there as your instructional guide. What does the Bible say? That's what's important. I'm not here to tell you what the Bible says. I'm here to tell you to look at the Bible to find out what it says. Does that make sense? So that's how we detect them. Let's look at how to avoid falling victim to these teachings. Okay, check this out. All right, this is where it gets good. One, you have got to know and love the Lord. Any, any of you guys in here married? Bless y'all's hearts. It's awesome. Any of you guys dating? I mean, dating, married, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you've had a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a wife or a husband or you currently have one, it, 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 if you were to just show up on Sunday morning or, like, call them once a week and be like, hey, baby, you want to go out on a date? Like, once a week. Once a week. And then, like, that was it. I didn't hear from you the rest of the week. I guarantee you that relationship is not lasting more than three weeks, okay? It's like a lot of middle school relationships. If you can't see, I'm rolling my eyes really big right now. Good Lord, the drama. Um, God is the same way. How are you ever expecting to become closer to God when you say hi to God once a week and then step back? What are you doing? I mean, if... If I were heiress, okay, not if I were heiress, but heiress, okay, say you're about to walk out on the street, okay, there's a bus coming, and you've got earphones in because that's what you teenagers do, okay, and you're not paying attention, and you're about to become an heiress pancake, and I run out there, and I, I, I tackle you out of the way just before the bus hits you. What are you going to say? Remind me never to save her life. 
thank you? I would be like, are you serious? I almost died, and you just saved my life. I owe everything to you. Thank you so much. And I would be following that person. I would be that annoying guy that's like, Please, just get, get away from me. Like, uh, you're, you're welcome, you know? But that is, God saved our life. He sent his son to die on the cross. Does this not excite you guys? There we go, okay? God saved our life. How can we possibly not want to know him more? How can we possibly Sunday it up and that's it? Maybe a group somewhere in the week. How is his word and constant prayer not a part of our lives? The Bible says pray without ceasing. Y'all, the Bible is God speaking to us. Some, sometimes you guys are like, oh, I don't really think he like talks to me. He's like, you know, the Bible is God talking to you. That's why you've got to get your nose in it. Prayer is you talking back to him. It is a two-way street. The closer you get to God, the more in tune with the Holy Spirit you're going to become. And the closer to the Holy Spirit you become, the more you will know what the Holy Spirit wants for you. All the way back to Romans 12, the last time we preached. You remember, I had those, I had those balloons, and I'm popping. Some of you guys got, got like slight PTSD from me popping balloons, okay? It's scary, I know, but come on. Some of you guys, if we can go back to Romans 12, you have to be able to, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind to be able to know what is that good, acceptable, and pleasing will of God. I used to hate that term, the will of God. I have such peace about the will of God. What does that even mean? It wasn't until I actually started doing something about my faith that I realized, oh, the will of God. He's going to tell me when I give a darn about him. The closer you get to God, the more in tune with the Holy Spirit you're going to become, and the will of God is going to be made known in your life. We have to honor and love the Lord. Number two, in avoiding falling victim. And this is where it's going to get really fun for me because I'm about to get all weird Bible college on you guys. Okay? So take your notes out. You got to hear it. You got to study it. You got to meditate on it, and you got to obey and practice it. You got to know and study the word, y'all. And I love what's called hermeneutics. You guys are like, hermeneutics? Hermeneutics is a term that is teaching you how to read scripture. It, there are four things you need to know. When you are reading scripture, they need to pass through these four lenses, okay? All of them. Not just one, not just two, but all of them. Number one, I believe the Bible is literal. There are times in the Bible where there is metaphor and it makes itself known that it is metaphorical. But the Bible is literal. So if you're reading, you need to decipher the Bible from a standpoint of literality. Revelation, that's a hard one, okay? That's a different one, okay? Don't, if you're new to reading scripture, just stay away from that for a while. That's, come on. Chip needs to do a study on that. He's going to be mad at me. <laughs> Don't tell him to. Revelation, just stay away from that right now. Literal. It needs to be from a standpoint of literality. Two, historical. What was happening in history at this time? 
what was going on in Israel, what was going on in Rome as the Christians were starting and the church was manifesting and all this, that, what was going on, okay? Here, and here's, here's another one, grammatical. There is a lot of grammar that we use in English today that are very different in biblical terms. Even though the Bible is written in English for us, there are a lot of things that do not transfer grammatically. You need, if you really want to get into it, and I think it would be awesome, go get yourself a Greek, a Greek Bible that's like been translated literally Greek to English. Okay? Do some studying. Learn the grammar of the passage that you're, that you're teaching or that you're, that you're learning, that you're reading. Grammatical, historical, literal. And here's the one that messes everyone up because everyone has their own ideology. Everyone has a point to get across. It's context. What is the context of the passage you are reading? You cannot walk in there and say, God is love. And then walk out to someone, you know, and just berate them. Say, you can't be doing this because God is love. Well, the Bible just told me to do this. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are so many things that if you take things out of context, this is why Joel Olstein still has a job, y'all. Okay? This is why Joel Olstein has a job. This is why Joyce Meyer has a job. is because things are horribly out of context. I'm not here to be nice. This is why so many preachers, teachers, evangelists, pastors, students have it so wrong because they look at what they want to look at and they kick out everything else. They're like, oh, yeah, this is what I want to say. I mean, I've heard someone say, well, well, John 11.35 says Jesus wept, so he must have, he must have been a woman. What? Like, Context is everything. It is everything. In fact, the passage that I just read in Ephesians, you could have easily just you could have easily taken that a very different way. But in Ephesians 4, I'm going to read this one more time. But see if contextually, contextually means you take the passage before, passage after, chapters before, chapters after, the book, the whole thing, take it into whole focus. And see what that specific passage is saying. And I know, listen, I believe that the Bible gives many applications, okay? But here's the deal. The Holy Spirit in writing the Bible only had one application. Now, I believe there's one interpretation, and that that might get me in trouble, guys. But I'm going to be real with you guys. I believe the Bible can be given to different applications. But know that when the Bible was being written, the Holy Spirit had a specific purpose in mind. He had a specific application. Think about that in the context. I'm going to read this one more time from 1 to 16. Y'all see if if, if it sounds any different to you guys. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, and you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's beautiful by itself. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people 
What does he ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fulfill in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every uh, supporting ligament grows and builds up itself up in love as each part does its work. So if I were to just read verse 14 and 15, you could take that as an okay. There are things outside the church walls that I need to be careful not to accept because they're wrong. When you read the whole passage, it's talking about within the church too. It's talking about building each other up. It's talking about Listening to your pastors, allowing them to teach you, learning yourself by getting your, getting your face in the Bible, getting your face on the floor before Jesus. It's talking about the whole church being built up into the complete unity. That way, you will not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. It is not just about culture. It is not just about me. And social media. It is not just about that. It is within the church. And it is not just about doctrine. It's about maturity. It's about being able to look at something. And say. That's not good teaching. Or how about being so mature. That you can look at someone walking through that door. And saying. That's not going to be good. Can I just. Can I just. Throw that out there for a minute. Satan sends people to our church as well. It's having the maturity to know what is good, what is perfect, and what is acceptable, pleasing will of God. Not just for your life, but for the church. See, when you start taking responsibility for this church, and I'm not talking about the building. I don't care about this building. I care about y'all. I love y'all. When you start taking responsibility for it, and you start saying, this is mine. This is not just my family. This is my everything. This is what I give my life for. I give my life to God first, and my family second, and then my church. Now, that can be scary, because you're like, well, wait a second. Your job's important, too. Of course your job's important. But God should filter down into every aspect of your life. When the church become so important to you when the fellowship of believers and the building up of yourself and others become so important to you do you have any idea how potent you guys can be in this community do you have any idea how much 86% of this unchurched community needs you that's it 86% of this community is unchurched seriously I thought we were in the Bible Belt. Apparently it doesn't matter anymore. 
take hold of this family. Take hold of the Bible. Take hold of God. Make him yours. He already wants to be. Make him yours. Because when he is, you will be able to tell that acceptable and pleasing will of God. You'll be able to look at certain winds of doctrine and say, that ain't the Bible. You'll be able to look at certain people and say, that's not going to be good. You'll be able to look for opportunities to disciple individuals. You'll be able to look for opportunities to pour into someone. And I'm not just talking monetary. I'm not just talking lip service. I'm talking love them like they are your family because we are. Because if, if any, if I'm not dumb enough to think that everyone in this room knows Jesus. Just, just going to throw that out there. But for the most of us that do, we are family. We are brothers and sisters in something stronger than blood ever dreamed of. We are brothers and sisters of a heavenly calling, of a heavenly God, of a God that literally chose us. A God that said, I want you, and then gave us the opportunity to make that choice back. That is what's beautiful about God. There are so many religions out there that you have to work for that salvation. And, and I fully believe that when you come to Jesus, you work because Jesus loved you. You don't work to get Jesus' love. I believe the Bible is clear as when it says you will know them by the fruit that they bear. You will know them by the works that they get. The, the Bible also says faith without works is dead. But you've got to be careful. Remember, context because a lot of religions will teach that exact scripture as works-based salvation, but it's not. Faith without works is dead. How can you possibly think that you are a child of God when you're not acting like one? It's a difference. It's a difference. The defense of your faith is so important. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be done in just a minute. I love you guys. You guys are my family. My family literally lives in the subdivision across the street. That's my mom and dad. They live over there. I love them. But you guys are an extension of my family. I love serving you guys. I love being given the opportunity to come up here. Some of you guys are like, oh, dang, it's the fat man again. I get that. That's fine. I'm not here, I'm not here necessarily to make friends. Because you may be mad at me for what I'm saying this morning, but I would much rather you be mad at me and you realize what good doctrine is and you're on your way to heaven than me try and just make you feel good like Joel Osteen and you go out there and you live your life and you die and you go to hell. I would much rather you be mad at me and know the truth than you be happy with me and I've told you a lie. I am called to speak the truth in love. And when you have studied the scriptures, and when you are confident through the Holy Spirit of what you believe, you are called to speak the truth in love as well. It is not just my job. It is not just Chip's job. It is not just Travis's job, or Alexis's job, or Alyssa's job, or Ron's job. It is yours too. I have just been called here to help teach. You guys are the church. 
you guys have been called to make a difference. So do it. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for the privilege of knowing your word and knowing your son and knowing your gospel. God, I pray that you would allow us to realize that it is not about just accepting Jesus. It is not just about coming to church on Sundays. It is about knowing more about you. It is about being deeper in your word. It is about being deeper in your love. God, I pray that you would burden our hearts to teach to teach what we have learned in the scriptures to others, that you would put it in our hearts to disciple others, that you would put it in our hearts to be the church that you have called us to be, the church with no walls, the church that desires to know you more, and the church that has a long hand in this community. God, teach us to know what good doctrine looks like. Illuminate the scriptures in our lives. I pray that if anyone in this room does not have a daily quiet time, that they settle that. They get that taken care of. You've got to know the word. God, but I'm also speaking to myself. Busyness gets me down. Busyness keeps me from what you want me to do. And I'm sorry. I pray that this church knows that you are God that your son Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the Trinity and it's not just about six literal days and a rest it's not just about setting up covenants with us it's not just about what the church did in the New Testament God it's about you God I pray that you are the center of everything God hear our heart Please speak what is true.